0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for Conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. I have an introduction to the whole methodology here, but I'm not going to do it until after we have this first study session, because um, we're going to basically what I'm saying is we're going to jump right into the nine foot water and swim a little. And then we're going to explain how to deal with jumping into the nine-foot water. All right. So I want you to get a Bible or a Chumash, please, if you don't have one. I think that was in the instructions.
1: Yeah, I forgot. The
0: program. Yes. Okay. Where are we going to? Go get one. I'll give you 30 seconds because we're going no. to start reading Genesis chapter 1. Oh, okay. Okay. We're going to start at the beginning. What I would like you to do is keep in mind five things. You can scribble them down if you have pencil and paper, because you're going to read through the chapters first. I'll tell you what exactly to read, but I want you to pay attention to five things. Number one, the names of God. Number two, time. Number three, Verbs that deal with the creation of things. There are a number of verbs. And you'll see them in whether you're reading the Hebrew or the English. Heaven versus earth. Statements that deal with those two, uh, geographies, shall we say. <clears throat> and what is the first creature? And that means the first thing created. What is the first thing that is created?
2: When when you talk time, you know, you're you not talking how many thousands of years ago. No, no, no. I'm talking time. Talking time between things. Within the context of the material
0: you're going to read. All okay, right?
2: like how, uh, how long from day one to day two? Sort whatever. Of no, 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 no. It's not that. You'll see what I mean.
0: Whenever words, whenever... Time is as, as mentioned. Okay. okay.
3: Rabbi, will you Rabbi. please, will you define thing? Is thing anything? Or is thing with sentience? What, what, what word? Thing. You said the first thing the created. First, the first item that was created. So it doesn't have to be a living item. Correct.
0: Okay, all right. Now, I want you to read Chapter one and the first three and a half verses of chapter two. Okay. All right. I I want you to go to chapter two, verse four, because that one line split in two, if you're using the JPS commentary or the foolish, will help answer three of the five questions believe it or not. Okay. So let's look at the, at verse four of chapter two. Okay. And let's actually, all right, let's take a step back. Verse three, look at verse three, because there's another, another element that I forgot is not in verse four. So let's start with verse three. Uh and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because on it God ceased from all the work of creation that he had done. Ela told Dora Shaman Behibaram. Such is the story of heaven and earth when they were created.
2: Okay, now first of all, what is God's name? In, 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 the, in this what chapter, uh,
0: read, what is God's name?
2: I, I don't, uh, Elohim. Elohim. Elohim.
0: Translated in the English, God. In this, still, right? Elohim. That's it. All right. Now, what is the word? Now, here you're going to have to look at the Hebrew, if you can. Otherwise, I'll try. I'll explain. What is the verb that is used in both in verse three and the first part of four? The act of making things. What's the verb? Bara, bara, Beit resh aleph means to create. Okay? Now, by the way, you should know, and keep this in mind when we look at chapter 2, that verb throughout the entire Bible is mentioned about 55 or 56 times. It is only used for one. Creator. Hashem. God. Only with God's creative activity. Only, only, only. Got that?
3: Rabbi? Yes. Are there different God names in those 55
0: or 56, or are they all Elohim? Uh, That's a good question. I can't answer it right now. I can check it for you, okay, but not now. Very good question. All right. Now, and the final thing is what, is, what has been created? What does it say? What, what, what was created in, in the first part of verse 4? Um,
2: first
3: part of- A genealogist noticed the use of the word taldos, which is interesting when it's applied to heavens, when it's applied to nature and not, and not yes. applied to things that have children. Right, but that's not what I'm talking
2: it's about. It's heaven and earth are created.
0: Heaven, heaven and earth. Heaven, it's it says in my senses. So, so. It does. It's heaven, heaven, era, shamayim, That's the same way that this whole thing begins, right? Vreshit, yeah. bara, Elohim, et shamayim, Right? We're going to go back to that beginning in a minute. It's heaven and earth. Stop. All right? So. Name of God is Elohim, key verb bara, and what is created is heaven and earth. Agreed? All right. Look at the second part of the verse. What's God's name? Adonai.
2: No? Adonai. Adonai Adonai Elohim. Huh? I thought you were talking about verse 4.
0: Yes. The second part of verse 4, it says Uh Adonai Elohim. Does it it? Lord God? However, yes. Okay, so that's God's name. There's a difference between it's a difference between Elohim and Adonai Elohim. Okay, hold on, Teibel. I see your hand. All right, number two. What is the verb that is used to deal with the process of making or creation? Mm -hmm. Asa. Asa. Asa, made, made. Not bara. Okay? And number three, what was created? Earth and heaven. Earth and heaven. 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 Different order. Mm -hmm. And that's not accidental. And now we're going to see why. Okay, now go back to the beginning. So, now I want you to just skim it. Don't read it carefully. Just skim it. You can, you'll can, you get the answer to this uh, within a, a number of verses. In chapter 1, is there any other name for God than Elohim? No. No. In chapter 2, is there any, forgetting about the first few verses, starting with verse 4, second half to the end of the chapter, Is there any other name for God other than Adonai Elohim? I don't think so. Okay. So the answer is no. So clearly, there are two different names that were used here. The first one is Elohim only. The second one is a combination of Adonai Elohim. And I can tell you, Adonai Elohim, other than in this chapter, and, and the third chapter, is only used one other time in the entire Bible. So Adonai Elohim is a very unique uh, a name for God.
2: Adonai Elohim it's used is used all than, over the place. Adonai Elohim is used more than one time in the Bible. Where else? I don't know, but I've read it. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's one other time. Well, these are two very different stories, though. Uh-huh. Oh. The order of things and where they're created and how man is created and
0: Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah you you jumped ahead. Okay. You ruined the surprise. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god. You asked us to
2: read both of them. It's your fault. He gets, an F. It it gets an F.
0: Okay. Bible,
3: So when I started looking at verse four and uh, just to say, I'm online because I can't hold a book, so I'm in the JPS 1917. But uh, the Hebrew shouldn't be different. There's there's a small hay in the one, two, three, four. The fifth word, there's a hay in a much smaller font, and I'm wondering why. It, well,
0: it's yeah,
3: base and then a tiny tiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I see. Right, right, right. Um. Okay. Yeah, that is a version. It's not clear why. Um, I'm not sure. It could. It, it's it's strange. I, I the, people. But it's not. It's not that. an allusion
3: to God embedded in the word
0: somehow. No, no. I yeah. Well, that's possible. But then, why would it be smaller if it were an abbreviation of God's name? I would assume it would be bigger, as as it could be, as we know in other places, like the Shema, for example. Uh, where the letters are enlarged. So why
2: it's there, I don't know, and I don't think anybody knows for sure. There's seven or eight places in the Torah in which a letter is either smaller or larger. Right. And and from what I have heard, because I've studied this part, no one knows why this was done, but it's original. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe, well, originally, we don't know. I mean,
0: because a lot of these, these things were, 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 um, created, were man, were manipulated, shall we say, by the, 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 the people who were the later redactors and actual, what's called the Masoretes were the ones in the Middle Ages who actually, uh, put in the vocalization and who made these subtle, uh, emendations that was meaning were meaningful to them and they didn't explain why. So that's all guesswork. It's why why are some words have dots on top of them? Even in the Torah scroll. And here in the Torah scroll you will find a miniature hay as well. So I can't answer the question. Okay. All right. Now so um it is suggested that in fact the Adonai Elohim, the, the addition of Elohim there, um, may have been a late addition in order to build a bridge back to chapter one. Because mm-hmm. it was clear anybody reading this text, okay, and it could have been the Masoretes who put it, and we don't know. But anyone who is reading these two, two accounts cannot be disturbed over the great differences that are found in those two stories, right? I mean, they're really, as we go through our little checklist here, you'll see, right? I mean, and, and so therefore, there have been the many efforts made to harmonize the two. The Midrash does that, because that's often what Midrash does. The rabbis who wrote the Midrashim are very sensitive to the problems in the written texts of the Bible because there are many hands at work in many places and they were collated together at certain points in antiquity and the people who collated them didn't tell us why they did it. We can guess. And we're going to be doing that in just a minute. Uh, But the point is, they wanted to harmonize what seemed to be contradictions, so one of the basic ones between these two, and since you've read the two now, you'll know what I'm talking about, is that in one you have very detailed account of how a human being was created, right? And you have actually two different accounts of how men and women were created, right? So one of the common interpretations that you'll find in the Drasha Answers is, well, the second one gives you the details of how the first one was done, mm-hmm. That's a typical way that Midrash explains. The rabbis and the early the, the generations of scribes who preceded them were often faced with challenges from within the, the Israelite, or let's say Jewish community and beyond about all these apparent contradictions. What kind of a work of God is it? You know, if if, if God speaks out of both sides of God's mouth, it's, you know, those were the challenge they face legitimately. I mean, you already have remember when was the Bible exposed to 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 people beyond the Jewish people? When did that happen? Do you know no. what was the vehicle that brought the Hebrew Bible into the world of into world civilization
1: probably the New Testament.
0: No. no, wouldn't no. it be? Gutenberg. Gutenberg, the,
3: Gutenberg the, followers, the, the followers,
0: followers, followers, No, it was a Greek translation. No, Septuagint. No. Right. The Greek translation, the process of which was probably begun in the third century BCE in Alexandria, Egypt. From that point on, the five books of Moses, and then later on, the entire Hebrew Bible was translated into greek because there were many jewish people who couldn't understand the hebrew and they spoke greek but of course inadvertently non-jews picked up on it as well and did what they wished with it right and and many many ele- there are elements for example of the hebrew bible where the Septuagint, for the, one of the best examples, is where it, in, in Isaiah seven fourteen, which says mm-hmm. a young woman shall be, be give birth, the Septuagint translated the word young woman as virgin, uh-huh. and that opened the door for the virgin birth of Mary, which could be grounded in that interpretation, and and uh-huh. it would be the the person who used. The the Greek, whoever translated that into Greek as virgin, probably in Alexandria, for some reason was influenced maybe by some, you know, Greek concept of women, right? It didn't do it, nobody did it in anticipation that a whole theology would be built around it. It was used because that was what, well, that's what he's probably talking about, because it's an amazing thing, you know. But that's not what the Torah means. That's not what Isaiah meant. Were the Christians were, were the Christians working? If you look at how those verb those words are used in the Hebrew Bible, and you look in a concordance, look in a modern Hebrew lexicon, you will see it's not used as version. Alma, Alma is the term. It doesn't mean virgin.
2: All right, I'm going to stop for two seconds, Bert. I did question: Were the Christians then working off the Septuagint because they accepted oh. what they call yes. the Old Testament? Yes, they were dealing with the Bible in Greek.
0: They learned the Bible in Greek, sure. Not in Hebrew. I mean, you think about the well. No, um, no. The uh, the look, the Jews who the Christians who lived in Eretz Israel knew the Hebrew, okay. But by that time, it would be. It, it, it's clear. That the Greek translation was floating around. No. By the way, we don't know that those original Jew- Jewish Christians. We don't know that they re- Remember, they existed before Paul, right? Those Jewish Christians, who the small group of people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, were Jews, and they were. That was all they thought. They didn't think about Son of God. They didn't think about all of these other theological nuances. It was Paul who brought a lot of this, this whole approach in because he was a Greek-speaking Jew. He knew the Hebrew, but he knew Greek, and that was his language. And he preached his, you know, he what he taught was in Greek. So he's a bridge. And later on, that continues as more and more people in the non-Jewish world log, log on to these things. Okay. All right. All right. Tybal, go ahead
3: quickly. Um. Just in terms of a date that we'd use for this class, clearly the Septuagint date, 3rd century BCE, is the end date for when Tanakh was codified. But what would you say was the beginning date? Presumably it wasn't codified by magic in one instant. Oh,
0: no, 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 no. It depends. I said Bible. I said Torah at that time. The, the process of the, of the canonization of the Hebrew Bible ran probably into the first century of the common era. It took longer. And that's why many of these books, uh, were not translated until later on. So I would say the, the translation of the, the, what we call the Septuagint covered a number of centuries, but it began with the five books of Moses. Okay. It began there. All right. Anyhow, so, um, all right. So the first chapter then, we talked about the word bara. The interesting thing here is it's not used at all in the second chapter. That verb does not appear. And one would assume that given the uniqueness that that word has We we, we have it demonstrated in the whole Bible that that is unique to God. If I were talking about the creation of the world, wouldn't I at least use that word a few times? I mean, the truth is it's used six times in the first chapter, okay? But it's not used at all in the second chapter. And it's interesting where it's used in the first chapter. It's used in the creation, the first stage of the creation of the animals, and the creation of human beings, and then the Shabbat, what we read just here in chapter two, those are the six instances and one very interesting thing is in chapter one verse twenty seven it talks of it uses the word bara three times in one verse when talking about the creation of the human of male and female of the two humans, three times. Which means that the creation of human beings was a big deal. Okay, a big, a real big deal.
2: Especially and to human sure. beings.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, look, I always say that we were the biggest uh thorn in the side of God that God ever created. And you read by the way, chapter three of the Bible till the very end corroborates what I just said. We are his. We become his God's headache, if you <laughs> will. That's just a, a metaphor. All right, okay. So we see then that the use of terms. If you look at the terms in chapter two, you see made, formed when it's talking about the human being yatsar, right? That's a term that is used often in the Bible for human beings who create things. And you think about on the High holot on Yom Kippur, right? Um that term is used in a, in a in a poem, right? Uh biyad as as clay in the hands of the of the uh potter, right? Yotzer. It's used for God. I mean, yes, it's used for God elsewhere. Isaiah in chapter forty five uh Verse 7, uh, the famous line, Yotzer Or uborai Eichosheh, right? Yotzer Or, God forms light. Very interesting use of the term, okay? How do you form light? Fascinating, very creative. Okay, but anyway, so yes, it can be used for God, but it's also shared with human beings. Asa, I mean, you know, asa is also found in chapter 1. It's a very generic term. By the way, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, well, a little bit of time. In chapter one, there is something that is totally missing, another form of creative activity that is totally missing in chapter two. Well, no, it's it's a couple of times. I shouldn't say never. That's right. It's in chapter two a little bit. But guess what verb appears more than any other in the first creation story? Look at the speaking isn't it speaking speaking is that tribal yes, yep, speaking ten times it's found in chapter one. That's great because what is unique about speech human beings well, yeah. number one, it is a human activity that's true, but on the other hand, what is it what is it
2: what does it do? Allows communication between. See
0: speech.
2: It's creative. Speech creates.
3: But it it allows the next generation to know what went before it in a more explicit way. I mean, animals pass things on to their children, but not not. Right. Well, in that
0: that's sense, correct. It,
1: it, it transforms the non physical into the physical.
0: Good. All right. So you can see this, but the fact is. It's a very non-physical action, right? I mean, we know speech comes from the larynx, blah, blah, blah. You know how it happens in us, yes. But the fact of the matter is, I can, when I make something, if if I'm an artist, you can watch me paint, right? And you'll see the colors and you'll see my hand and you'll see the brush. When I speak, all you can see is my mouth moves. And if I do this, as far as you know i may not be speaking at all the speech may be coming from the person standing on my left cuz you don't know that my mouth is moving do you right so it doesn't require a visual it does not require a visual of a mouth unless you're a little hard of hearing like i am <laughs> with the deaf person to watch them. <laughs> but anyway okay so i mean the point is it's a great verb to use For the creativity of a God that is non material, non physical. Okay, 10 times it's used. All right, so then the verbs of creation are different in the two. There's some similarities because they're generic terms, but there are specifics that are very, very different. Okay, now, what does it say in verse, in that first? Half verse, no, the second half. Hold on, Teibel. What does it say in the second half? What? Let me rephrase the question. What's the first word of the second half of verse four? Yom, Yom. Mm-hmm. in the day. Okay, mm-hmm. that God created earth and heaven. Mm-hmm. In other words, yom there could mean a a, a concept day, meaning an undefined time frame, right? Or it could mean that it was all done in one day, one or the other. But that's radically different in chapter one, when the creative process, including Shabbat, runs over a period of seven days. And each day, different things are created, and you move from, you begin with heavenly things, and then you move to the earthly thing. Whereas in chapter 2, there is no definition of time. What does chapter 2 tell us about the creation of the heavenly host, about heaven?
2: What does chapter 2 teach us? It, it just says they were finished, right? right? That's the first sentence. Well, yeah, but what does it say about it?
0: Does it talk about stars, sun? No, you know, no, not really. Firmament, heaven. Remember Shemayim. Really. It Just says they existed. It, it basically also, says they existed. That's all. Second, the second story is focused in, in detail only on earthly things. That's why earth is mentioned first. The first chapter is focused on both. Begins heavenly, right, and then moves down
2: to earthly. In fact, in the second chapter, we don't even know that there's a moon and a sun. Exactly. We don't know anything. Okay, so it's a different
0: perspective. It's a completely different perspective. All right. Now, what is the first specific thing that is created in chapter one? And by, let's look at that first line before you answer. Breshit bara Elohim. All right, Tybal, did you want to mention something?
3: Um, I had a question, but you're in mid-flow, so All right. okay. have, I'll, All right. I'll hold it. Hold, but okay. I was going to say, isn't heaven the first
0: thing? No, it just says heaven and earth. Well yes, well, hold on. No, 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 it's not. Look look at chapter 1. Okay.
1: So no, I think
0: it's light. it's, it's a, that is a it's a it's a general statement. The same way that chapter 2 verse 4b is a general statement. That's an introductory statement. God created heaven and earth. Okay? And and chapter 1 and chapter 2 agree that God did the whole thing. So that's a general statement. In fact, you know that that bet it, it, it's 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 very problematic. sheet. Rashi is confused over it and he suggests that it should be really read sheet or barishona or something like that. Okay? And he was the one who suggested that it may not in, indeed uh, refer to a specific, you know, uh, an order of creation there, okay. But here's the interesting thing, and I don't I don't want to go into technicalities of the form, uh, you know, it, it it's grammar. And I just I don't want to go go into it right now. But the point I'm going to make is one grammatical point, B, right? A bet with the two vertical dots under it, wow. okay? Uh, Shva, it's called. B that one of the one of the uses of a b is it's called the the schwa or the bet of of means. A means of doing something, of getting something done. So Ani b um pati. Okay, bhati well that would be ba. No b b I used my
2: Hammer. Yeah,
0: Joe, hold on a I used my hammer, okay? And it would be b. It was a means, right, of, of doing something. So the bet there, berishonah, bereshit, rather. Bereshit is a verb, a noun that means beginning. It does. But I, I am suggesting that you should read it. By means of a reshit, God created heaven and earth. What does that mean by means of a by means of a beginning? Remember what came before that? Nothing. Oh we don't know. There was nothing.
2: Well, it says there was water, and it says there was a wait, deep. Wait,
0: wait, No, that was that that could have been the condition after that reshona Risho, uh, reshite. In other words, I'm suggesting something like the Big Bang. Okay,
1: that's where the light comes up.
0: Ah, ah, that's the key thing. There was this undefined or incomprehensible act on God's part that began the process of the creation of heaven and earth. And the first item, specific item that was created was light. And that was on the first day. Okay, because... The, the, what, what you have after that, if you will, after that ray sheet was a chaotic mush. I know I'm speaking, you know, big, big, big bang type stuff, right? It was a, an undefined. Who knows what? You know that scientists do not know exactly what happened immediately after the big bang. They don't. There's this thing called Planck time, which is a tiny, tiny, tiny smidgen of time that took place before the emergence of forms of energy like light. Light was indeed one of the first, according to the scientists today, it's very interesting, one of the first things that came into being was light energy. Okay that happens well, it's, to me. it's a coincidence i'm not going to say <laughs>
1: well and physics is very transmutable into other forms of energy and substance right so it
0: conforms yes. Got bosons remember higgs boson was the big thing about that that actually functioned as a transformer of energy into matter and that was later that was a few a few milliseconds down the down the road okay but all it's uh, it's tough. But it's hard for us, not being scientists of this kind, to fully understand. Okay, but the point is that um, the light—light light was the first thing, according to Torah. It makes sense because if everything is tohu babo, if everything is is chaotic, right? Okay, if everything is chaotic, then what do you got to do? You got to gotta- bring order, right? Okay, what do you need? And I think now that we're reflecting the author is a human being here, right? And so that human being is reflecting how they view how we view things. You've got to be able to differentiate. And in fact, the whole process that takes place after light is formed is a differentiating lahav deal to separate. It's a process of organizing by setting apart discrete elements in their own setting that's taking order out of chaos it's
1: like electrolysis using energy to separate things
0: in a sense yeah okay so light is the first thing that was created because you got to be able to see to differentiate right i always use the metaphor a dark movie theater and somebody yells fire and nobody can turn the lights on. What happens? Because of the darkness. Chaos. Yeah. You, you've read stories in a bar, the darkened bar, and a fire starts. And nobody knows where the, the exits aren't properly lit. So nobody knows how to get out. People start clamoring and people get killed. They get trampled to death. Chaos. Darkness is chaos. Darkness is scary. Right? We say Hashkivenu at night in the marriage service. Cause us to lie down in peace because it's dark outside. Okay, anyway, so the first thing that's created is light. And then the process of separating waters above from the waters below, the land and this, different creatures. You've got the sea creatures, the earth, cre- the air creatures, the land creatures, and ultimately the human being. It's a process. It's actually an evolutionary process in a sense. Very, very sophisticated is chapter one. Chapter two is very mythological. Great contrast. And what's the first thing? The first discrete, defined object in chapter two that is created. Humans. Say heaven and earth. That's not what we're talking about. Humans. Humans. Exactly. Exactly. Because what? What does it say in the creation of humans in chapter 2? Okay? It says, read verse. My glasses back up. All right, verse 5. What's it said? When no shrub of the field was yet on earth, and no grasses of the field had yet sprouted, because the Lord had not sent rain upon the earth. And there was no man to till the soil, right? Oh, that's very interesting. There was no man to till the soil. Hold on. You mean God could not create pre-tilled earth? <laughs> mm-hmm. He couldn't create earth that was already ready? I mean, give me a break here. This is, as I say, this is very mythical. This is a God who seems somewhat limited he needs the human being to partner with him. Now, that's an amazing statement, right? It puts the human being in a very, very different place. <clears throat> human being, it's a great statement that we're supposed to be part with God, right? It's what it seems to say. So what does it say? Ah, uh, So God caused a flow. Now, look at this. Look at verse 6. A flow would well up from the ground. A flow would well up from the ground. How did that happen? Who caused that to happen? Does it say God caused a flow? Well, read it carefully. No. The Hebrew is that way. The Hebrew, the Hebrew is is here. But a a flow came up from the land and and watered the face of the earth. And because it was watered, then what could God do? Verse 7, Right? God formed the human being from the fine soil and blew into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living being. So God creates the human being. But it seems as if He it implies, I think, that the ground had to be a little moist so God could take it and shape it, right? Think about clay, right? You need, Clay is not—it's the powder you mix with water, right? And then it's moist, and that's how you can shape it. So that's this- how the human being was created. But the human being is the this- first thing created. In chapter one, when is the human being created?
2: Later. After- at the end. At the end. The trees and the land and everything. Everything was before. Right. We are the last thing. Is sentence seven the reason per, per, the, the reason that that we believe you don't cremate the body that you let it go back uh, to yeah. be the I mean, That's creator? where it comes. From. Yeah. Yes. Okay, Kaibel. now. Um,
3: So I never thought of this before because when you asked us the question about what verbs were in creation, in my head is always the said, the saying, because to me that's always so striking in chapter one. But when you were just talking about differentiating, whatever, I wondered whether the saying was the first part when God was doing the saying, but the giving the name to something was the second part of creating. That, that because it's with words, that until it has a, a name, it's
0: not finished. And I wanted your take on that. Well, but God, God creates, God names, I mean, He, he, he calls the.
3: The first, but there are two different verbs. I mean, two different verb statements. First is the speaking, and then was the naming. Yeah, all right. So there's two different
0: acts on his part. The like book of
2: Genesis. And okay. Right. And
0: In chapter one, there are multiple things. Okay, yes. And
2: comparing it happened, the two
0: different God stories. And God. Okay. Sometimes it said God spoke and it happened. Right with with light yomar Elohim He spoke. But there are sometimes it says that God made, but it doesn't tell us how He made it. So, yeah, there are multiple ways in which God is seen as acting in chapter one. I, I never said there wasn't. There are. That's, I mean, they're using, but they're using, and it's, as I said before, the specifics of creating certain things are associated with the word, verb bara, right? The animals where it says God created the animals the um, it's he created the the fish and the and it's used in that line where God creates the fish and the birds because that's the first creation of living things that are not attached to the earth the vegetation had been done early on this is those are the, that's the beginning of the process of living creatures it's birds and fish then four-legged animals and crawling things and then human beings Okay, so that's when bara is used. Then bara is used, as I said, for the human beings, big emphasis. And then it's the use at the culmination with Shabbat and the and a culminating line which parallels the beginning line, making a frame that Adonai Elohim created, bara. Okay, and that's a structural thing that is used to set off a, a significant uh, piece of text as we talked about last night in our Psalms class.
2: Okay. All right. So that's that's that. All right. Now. And, Joel, in 120, it says that the human gave names to all the cattle, birds of the sky, wild beasts. In verse 20 of chapter 1? Chapter 2. Huh? Chapter oh, yeah. Two. Humans in chapter 2. Yeah,
0: God does that. I'm, I'm going to get to that. Oh, I thought you said no, a few seconds God. ago, God named everything. No, no, didn't no, name that's anything. right. That is a sign of the superiority. In other words, the human being in chapter 2 is acting already in godlike ways by naming creatures as God did in chapter 1. And by the way, it ends up, unfortunately, members of the female gender. At the end, who is it that names Chava Chava? Adam does implying that he's in charge. He named, right? By the way, it's very interesting. When you read about the naming of the tribes, the women do a lot of naming, implying they're in charge. Except Rachel got overruled, even though she was dying and
3: she called him son of my sorrow.
0: She got overruled. Well, there was a double one on that one because apparently, uh, you know, Jacob does a naming also, yeah. But my point is, though, that 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 it's a sign of control. All right? And that's that's in the first chapter, sure. God does that because he's the supreme boss. In the second chapter, human beings are already more partnering. Now there's an element of partnering at the end of chapter one, which we'll get to in a minute. There's no question. But it's not as obvious. It's not as is as as, as 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 uh what can I say defining As it is in chapter two, and that's the whole issue because throughout the Bible, God is dependent upon humans to do certain things, and when humans don't do it, God gets very angry. Right? The whole concept of a covenant, right? It's a covenant. It's an agreement between two parties. Yes, and I do, you do, with pro quo. Well, but if the quit is done and the, and the pro is not, you know, then it makes the quitter very angry. Pardon my use of, use of language here. Okay, Mark.
1: So there's a tension between partnership and domination. There's like a dynamic going on that's never not, really defined.
0: No, you're right. But I think the implication all along always is. That is, there's a senior partner and a junior partner.
1: Is that between human beings, too, or only God?
0: Oh, between, well, I mean, you can you can argue kings have power that other people don't have. Right? That's biblical. All right. Priests have power that you, other people don't have. All right? But in terms of God, there's no question who's the senior partner. Somebody trying to talk? Bobby, I think you're trying to say something, but you keep falling out. No, no. Are you all right? Yeah. Hold okay. up. I'm driving. Oh. Oh. All right. Okay. <laughs> now, let's get moving on. Um, the There's another very important thing here to consider about the God of Chapter 1 and the God of Chapter 2. How would you define at the completion of chapter 1 of the first account what is the what is what is the status of God's work right everything's done what what is it that God says at the end of each phase of creation it was good good and what at the end of, after human beings are created and God gives them some instructions what does God say at the end of chapter chapter 1 it was very good very good very good. Now, is there any glitch that takes place in the process of Chapter 1? Or does it just open up, everything happens smoothly? Everything seems to open up Pretty smooth. smooth, right? Pretty
3: smooth. Yeah. Actually, Rabbi, isn't it smooth and smoother?
0: Because doesn't Tuesday get two very goods? Well, I would say you're probably right, because if he uses bara to create human beings... That's using the smoothest, the most powerful, right? And then Shabbat is also Bara, right? Right. But that's why I always thought from people like to marry on Tuesday because it has the two very good. Yeah, hey, yeah, that's right. That, of course, that's that's a tradition. Yeah, that's one of the areas where it was carried over. Yeah, yes, yeah. Because yeah. Monday, it, it, uh, Monday, it doesn't say Hayat Tov, right? It's only on Tuesday. And that's for both days, yeah, all right anyhow so it's a it's a smooth thing now here's a question some of you already should know the answer to because you've heard me teach it before uh, in chapter two, the second creation account uh tell me is it is it a smooth creation? Are there any glitches along the way yes.
3: Adam gets lonely. Ah. That is like, isn't it? He's like help me here.
0: Everything else has a pair. Wait, hold on. What does God say when he realizes that Adam was lonely? God says, lo tov hayot ha'adam levado. It is not good that the human was created or is by himself. All right, so that begs the question. Who created the human as a solitary creature? No. <laughs> right? So, as I say, he goofed. Marlise? Well, I was just going to maybe reframe it as it, he adapts, kind of I adapts. So he does. And sees, good. And sees, and sees what else is needed. Uh, right. No, no, this is a good thing. He adapts and adjusts. It's it's a good role model for we humans who screw up often, right? Okay, good. That's a positive thing to learn. But if I'm trying to create a theology here and a some some form of definition of God, right? I'm faced with this dilemma that God actually made a mistake, and he admits it. Lo tov. It's ironic. It's interesting that in the first chapter, okay, what is the key word that is used after every day? Toe. Right? And then Tobuma. ma'od, great. You don't hear low toe. There, there you have it. Right. So, yes, as Marley says, God has to adjust and adapt. Okay. So he seeks a way of solving the problem. Right, And the great solution is? He creates woman. No. What does we God take, create? He, t- he takes a it- piece of man. What is it- God, read it. What does God create after he realizes that it, he wants to make an ezerkonegdo? He wants to make a helpmate. And so... What is whom does God create? Read the text. He
2: fashioned the side of of the human into a. Woman. No, no, no! You jump too far. You skip oh. verses. Go back up.
1: Oh, he created a deep sleep. Was a no, that's
0: a... that. You went too far. Too far? When Are God you on says, the earth with? When? when God says, "Lo, Tov," I'm going to create. So, what does God create in order to? Deal with the, the dilemma that God developed, created on uh, on his own.
2: He says he'll he'll make a a fitting counterpart for him. And because... what is it? Read the next verse. He creates animals. Oh, oh, okay.
0: Look at it. He creates animals. Okay, right, right, and he brings the animals to Adam, and. They get to, name, somebody mentioned this before, I think Tybal did, he, he, he names them, right? So and in the process, this is where God hoped he would find the solution, because by naming naming them, he had to examine them, right, de- and Learn deal with them very carefully, so he could, Adam could give him a proper name. That's, that's presumably what the process would have been. So he scrutinized all these animals that God created, okay? But then what does it say? lo matzah ezer, he did not find a companion. Right. So that was error number two. So in chapter two, Adonai Elohim flubs it twice. Yes, as Marlise has told us, he adapts and adjusts, and he finally finds a solution. But compare that to God's activity in chapter one. Does God have to come up with solutions in chapter one? No. Bingo. Bing, bada, bing, bada, boom. Everything's great. All right? So you can see there's a radical difference between these two stories. Right? Radical. Language is different. Right? Different words, different names, uh, definition of God. Order of creation, right? It's interesting. The final creature in chapter two is the woman. One could make the case: Ah, the pinnacle of creation was the woman, right? Yeah. But later on, later on, it says, you know, after the after they eat from the tree, the woman will lust after the man, right? And he will, and he names her, meaning she's going to go, you know, and say. Come, no, I need you, I need you, blah, 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 whatever. God forbid you should get angry at her. You know, I mean, it's it's so sexist, pardon me. You know, it, but that's the way society was. And God, so it reflects that. Chapter 1, let's go back to there. I see your hand tied just a second. Chapter 1, they are both male and female are created together. And God says to both of them, be fruitful and multiply. So who is responsible in that statement to being fruitful and multiply? Who is in charge of the process? It's a partnership of equals between the man and the woman. And then it says you rule. Who? The man should rule or the woman should rule? No. It's a plural. You. The two of you rule. Chapter one is very egalitarian, interestingly. Chapters 2 and 3 is very gender-oriented. Like Tybalt, Okay, then Barbara. Tybel
3: I was just on the difference. I mean, you had said before naming is uh, uh, implicitly authority and control. But the first name in 23 isn't really a name. It's just a generic for the kind of a being she is, which is woman. And I was just trying to compare the verbs if it was the same Naming ver-
0: verb when she was being called woman, and then Eve. But I, I didn't. I, yeah, I didn't it could Eve. be. I, I I never thought about it. It's an interesting point. I think it may have to do with uh, you know, the that word which shows the creator of life. It it's you know because ultimately a human life emerges from the body of the woman, and so it's a recognition of that powerful process that a woman does generate and, and that's very significant. There's no question about it. But the but the fact he is the one who entitles who as the superior, he's the one who names that process or defines that process, uh, you know, and he's playing his role as as boss. I mean that's that's what that seems to indicate. All right. Uh no
2: Barbara and then Mark. Um and Sentence in Peruke uh, 17, uh, God tells man, the human, the only human at that time, that he shouldn't eat the tree of knowledge from the tree of, tree of knowledge. Yes. And yet it's woman who eventually eats from the tree of knowledge and bans us from the, the Garden of Eden. Um, she, woman was never told not to eat tree of knowledge well it's an I interesting see. point. we don't know what happened uh because
0: she gives it to Adam right after she eats it she gives it to him and he does he he follows her uh it's not explained um again, I think it's it very interesting here because she's the first the woman is the first one not to follow orders. Except she was never given the order. Well, we don't, he, she was not, but hopefully, you know, presumably, well, it doesn't say anything, right? Yeah. Then Adam, Adam was at fault for not telling, her. but he should have, what he should have done when she offered him, you know, she bit because the snake, she got snake, she got snake bitten. So she <laughs> bit the fruit, Right. And here's the whole role of the Nahash. That's a whole other story. You want to talk about what? mythology here, a talking snake, right? I mean, give me a break <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but snakes were very powerful symbols, very powerful symbols. Think about what happened in the in safer Bamidbar when the people rebel, and God brings about a mass of poisonous snakes right and create and starts killing the people, and He tells Moses. Take a snake, you know, and tie it around, make a pole, put a, make a snake or a snake shape of a snake, and they'll look at the snake and be healed. That is really magic, right? Rashi has to explain that by saying, no, 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 no. They couldn't have looked at that. There's no magic here. What it was, they looked up at God. It was a means of getting the people to look toward God for healing because the snake obviously couldn't do it. And then, of course, later on in the Book of Kings, we find with King Hezekiah, who starts the process of getting rid of the idolatrous things that were in the temple in Jerusalem. We're talking around 700 BCE, right? What does he throw out? The nechushtan, nachash, the the bronze serpent, it was a. It was being. It was in the temple in Jerusalem, to the point where it must not have been in a closet somewhere, because he threw it out. If it was in a closet, who cares? You know, but he threw it out. He was cleaning out idolatry. So it was seen at a certain point by the proto Deuteronomic Hezekiah that this is this is idolatry. It's all wrapped with the power of the snake. So snakes were scary, presumably powerful, s- smart. Funny. That's what that's about. Yeah, but the woman is the one who, you know, takes the bite. Adam sees she bit. Nothing happened to her. Oh, well, maybe. God changed his mind. I don't know. We don't know what his path process is. Okay, Mark, and then Tybal again. Go ahead.
1: So the the first chapter was more of a spiritual creation it was it was more more like a, a manufacturer using uh uh code to create something in the physical world but it came out with defects so the the second chapter was more of a material correction of the first chapter
0: yeah but the it's, first chapter implies that there's nothing going wrong
1: yeah but subsequently they figured out that that wasn't true you know because in the material world Everything degrades and things go wrong constantly. Right. You know? Of
0: course, sure. But the point is all that in the second chapter and third in the third chapter really is because of the nature of the human being, too. But again, you're dealing with a different concept of God. The mm. first chapter, the first story comes from the priestly tradition.
1: So is that the J or the P or
0: P P second tradition is a J tradition. With the use of God's name, okay. That's why the Elohim seems to be an addition. I mean, the the, the P tradition does use Elohim. No, not standardly. Usually, a, the Elohim is seen as an, a, an addition. The J tradition, according to Bo- contemporary Bible scholarship, is is the um, is the one that's used by that particular school, which has a specific definition of God. Which is a much more humanized, anthropomorphic God, with qualities of God. We'll, we'll, we're going to look at the flood account, okay? And there you will see that the the when it talks about when when the when Arunai is talking or it, 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 describing Adonai, he gets very angry. Sounds
1: like a, a bridge from like a deist, Creation to yeah, the well, that
0: that's the job. Okay, let me jump ahead. That is probably one of the things that happened by putting these together. Okay, when the redact, I mean, the redactor, whoever that was, some so fair, Ezra, somebody like him, who was an expert in the Torah, and who had access by that time. We're talking, Ezra lived in the middle of the 5th century BCE. By that time, all of these Torah traditions were available. Okay, Whether is he, somebody before him, we don't know. But clearly, these totally different traditions were stuck together. And that split in the verse, in verse remember the versification took place as a result of Christian numbering, we did not divide the verses with numbers. We did not. When, print, when these books, when they began to write books, okay, whether it was by hand and later obviously by printing, they they numbered things. Okay, the Masoretes did not do that. The Masoretes created the spaces in the Torah and in other books that define different segments. You know what I'm talking about? In the look at the Torah yeah, scroll,
1: there's their blank
0: parts. There's but there's spaces, right? Mm-hmm. And that ends a different a segment, one segment, another segment, another segment, and so forth. That the Masoretes did, okay. But the enumeration, the numbering of sentences and chapters, was done by the Christians, and so they did. They wanted this to to flow smoothly from one to the other, because they faced the same midrashic questions that the rabbis did. Remember, they had to deal with pagans much more than than the rabbis did. The rabbis had to deal with other sects within the Jewish community and some pagans. But the Christians had a big job to do. Right? because they had they had this mass of ancient literature that they considered holy, and they were aware of all these contradictions in different traditions as well. Okay, but in the end, when the redactor did this, what we I think have to assume is basically what you're saying. They needed to put together a a each of these two stories is too limited, right? On the one hand, the the first chapter does not deal with a very empathetic God, right? It's cut and dry. And this God moves off when he's finished. Because how does it end? What does God say to the human beings? You rule, okay? I'm out of here. Not totally. But in terms, God, the general, humans are the lieutenant. Who bears the brunt of day-to-day activity? The general or the lieutenant, the lieutenant, or let's say the staff sergeant, they're really in charge, right? The staff sergeants are the ones that run the army on a day-to-day basis. The generals make policy, strategize the big issues. The sergeants are the guys who push the, the tuchuses of the soldiers, okay? All right, so chapter one is the general, okay? God is the general. Chapter 2, God is the staff sergeant, dealing with the nitty-gritty, reacting human to human, prone to sometimes misinterpretations and some, you know, bumps in the road, but nonetheless in charge. And the fact is, which one is God? Which one is God? Oh Exactly. And by putting it together, what they're saying, what the redactor was trying to indicate to the person reading this, is that you cannot define God too narrowly because when you're talking about this God, this God is the only divine force in the universe. There's no other. And we know that there are all kinds of phenomena in the universe that are confusing. And we... I. Uh, Isaiah forty five seven says it all. God is Yotzer Or, the former who forms light. Uvorei Choshech, Uvorei creates darkness. Oseh Shalom. No, well, Yotzer because Oseh Shalom, he is the maker of harmony. The, the Yotzer. Wait a minute. Let me try it again. Yotzer because Oseh Shalom Uvorei. Uvore Ra, and he is the creator of Ra, Resh Ayin, which can mean evil, it can mean chaos. If Shalom is harmony, then Ra is chaos, okay? And that's the way the earth was at the very beginning, right? God created the chaos, chapter one, and then put it together, okay? But the point is, what it is saying is, any phenomenon... In the universe, ultimately, the divine power is 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 responsible. Yes, the irony of free will pops up. That's the torah, right God gives free will to humans okay but in the in the mentality of antiquity, and even today, people you know create a way of of rationalizing how that could be but the, the, god is in total control and yet humans the rabbis have that in in, in avot okay they say hakol safui all is foreseen by god natuna but the, the 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 permission is given okay so but that's the point god is the 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 totality of power in the universe. And a lot of people I, I happen to agree the fact that Elohim is used in that first chapter <clears throat> specifically because the priests ultimately also use Adonai. There's a certain point when when Moses is about to begin his activity with Pharaoh, God says, "I only knew the the, the, the patriarchs only knew me by El Shaddai." But I'll now show you Adonai. So he's saying I'm going to reveal. This is the P tradition speaking here. Okay, that's why Elohim is used here in chapter one because it's not yet the Exodus time. Okay, that's that's something that modern Bible scholars have have uh, clearly clarified. Okay, all right. But Elohim is saying something else. Remember, I mentioned this last night. Elohim is a plural. Form of a noun, the yud mem. The the, the singular is Eloah, aleph hey, God, a God, Elohim is gods, the plural. But when you're talking about Hashem, all the verbs, except with a few minor exceptions, which not in, we're not interested in right now. But the the Similar. verbs are all singular. So the one God contains all, incorpor- incorporates all powers that you can associate with a multitude of gods. They're all there, okay. And that's by by putting these two chapters together, even though with all the contradictions, they're saying ultimately that's the reality. And are there going to be contradictions when we deal with this kind of a broad theology? Yeah, there are going to be issues that are going to be taxing on our pea brains But that's the point. We only have P-brains. <laughs> we can't understand the overall power of that we're talking about here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We can't. And, and I think most—it's interesting. Uh, you've heard me say this before— Maimonides, the great philosopher, and the Kabbalah and the Zohar agree, even though their whole approaches to God are radically different. They agree on one thing. We cannot understand at the highest level what God is about. We cannot. And basically, that's a statement that's being made. But the fact that they're both there, I mean, think about your experiences in life. You guys have all experienced things. Sometimes you want to believe God is that great power. You know, the classic we talked about last night. You're looking up at the stars on the night, you know, looking at the at the, at the, at the, the galaxy and, and the moon and the shooting stars and, and the planets and the stars, blah, 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 at night. And you say, oh, look at God. Oh, what God? Look at that powerful God. Well, that's God out there, right? And that's this immense universal power right? But when you are facing a personal dilemma, right here, right? We're going to read a psalm, Eli, Eli, Lama Zavtani. my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? We're not talking about the God of the stars and the sun and the moon. We're talking about the God that's there for us. And we want God to be right here for me at this moment, because I need that strength, okay? And so the author of the psalm is pleading, you know. And and that's the other side of God, that, yes, I came through this. I'm going to beat this, because God's giving me strength to deal with this personal issue, whatever it might be. And that's the kind of God we seek in those situations. Genesis 1 and 2 introduce both of those. Remember, God of Genesis 2 is the God of Genesis 3, who was concerned about them being naked, So he provided them with clothing before he kicks them out of the garden. First he gives them fig leaves, but then he provides them with actual clothing because he knows when they get out of the garden, there's going to be cold weather and they got to be taken care of. So even as he punishes them, he's taking care of them. That's God. That's the God we need over there. But sometimes I want to believe that this God is so powerful that he can maintain things. Okay. And, and so by having both of these contradictory accounts, you can accomplish that. Okay, Tybel, I've been keeping you waiting, and then we got to stop. Go ahead.
3: Oh, yeah, and Bert may want to cut this out of the recording. Um, it, Bert does. So as you've been talking, and I've been thinking about things, I've been wondering, because you say, here, God is making mistakes, and humans need to partner, and this whatever— could in fact the snake be a phallic symbol of you, of the male human being breaking away and struggling with authority to claim partnership. And that's why there are snakes with Moshe and Pharaoh. There are snakes here because, you know, yeah, when I you know. said P brain, oh. P E A, Phallus also starts with a P, just a little joke that Burke can cut out. But yeah. it just seems to me why a snake, a snake is so phallic.
0: Yeah, I understand. That's No, it's a good point. It could very well be. I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about the, the I haven't done deep research on the snake. Okay. I mean, it's worth looking up. Why don't you check it out? Seriously. Okay. If you have some time. Uh, for- well, that's my homework. Got it yeah all right, and then give us a report next week. No, because it's very possible we know look, we know throughout i mean the 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 fertility is ancient Israelite women had these little cups they could put on their finger that were images of fertility goddesses, and they have large breasts, some of them even have they go down far enough that you can see the genitalia. Okay, and they were little things. And of course, there are little symbols of these things, idols that were, you know, that they've had found as well. So the female, there's no question that the sexuality of the female is expressed in different concrete modes that have to do with daily life. And the snake is also part of that. Images of snakes appear all over the place. And yes, it could have phallic significance. Absolutely. And whether, you know, um, and again, if if, if that is indeed something that's behind the story of the snake in chapter three, yeah, then the snake is a slippery guy who took advantage of the poor woman because he's the shrewd male. I mean, it could be. I, I don't know for sure, but it's a possibility. Again, reminding everybody that, regardless of what we can read in our in our traditions, basically ancient and up until 100 years ago, some say even till today, you know, a male-dominated society. That was the norm for millennia, okay? And so, yeah, the snake could be an expression of that. Who knows? Okay, so next time we will begin, we're going to look at the flood account so please read those chapters, uh, beginning toward the end of chapter five through chapter nine of Genesis. Again, you don't have to be. I'm not going to give you a test, so you don't have to, you know, learn it by heart. But we're going to look at, at another approach to dealing with with differing traditions. Okay, and it's and again, but before we start looking, I'm going to do my introduction which I didn't want, did not want to do today because I wanted you to, we jumped into the nine feet and you're swimming. This is good. Now we can go back into the shallow end and see how they fill the pool. Okay, so that will be next week, same time, same station. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles.